1: Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3 and into the uh, three-day holiday and uh, the weekend. We like to kind of remove ourselves just a little bit and get us into a Sabbath perspective, remove ourselves just a little bit from the uh, quotidian, the benousek, the politics that uh, royal us during the week, and we are delighted to do so once again with Rabbi Pinkos. Alouche, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. We have him and his retinue in our studio with us today. It's a delight to have you, Rabbi. Thank you. He is the host of the Rabbi Alouche podcast. You can hear it on Apple Podcasts. He's the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, which is on Shea Boulevard in Scottsdale, where he always says, all are welcome, religious, not religious, Jewish, not Jewish. Rabbi, welcome back. It feels like it's been a while. Yeah, it does, but it's always a delight to be here. Thank you, Seth. Thank you. So we have some makeup work to do because, uh, uh, it, but because of me, we couldn't have you last week. Not you, uh, as long as we're assigning fault and blame, which is important in Judaism, I think. So uh, I can't. Right. So guilt, water, guilt. It was your fault. Yeah, anyway, guilt. Is. <laughs> <laughs> so we have we have two weeks to make up for on your podcast and on Torah portions, uh, biblical portions of the week. Let's go back and 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 start uh, from what I missed with you last week. Uh, based on Deuteronomy 21, Keteta, you did a podcast titled Don't Do Anything Without Asking This Question, and the question is one that you approached your, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the question is one you approached one of your, your, your greatest mentors, Rabbi Steinsaltz, on, and what he advised, the most important question is to ask when you... Approach something new when you are about to do something or undertake a new project, perhaps make, perhaps make a big purchase. I'll let you take it from there.
2: Right, and uh, not just anything new but any result mm-hmm. because we live in a society that is so result-oriented. Some are even obsessed with results that we forget to ask the most basic question, and that is what happens after we achieve that result. You know, we go to school and we get a diploma. What happens after that? Do we continue to study? We get married. What happens after that? Can we maintain our marriage? And that's true for any type of result in life. And I was quoting, indeed, my beloved Rabbi, Dean Steinsaltz of Blessed Memory, who once told me that the most important question in life is, and then what? Mm -hmm. What happens after we've achieved those results? What happens after we've flown to the heavens? Can we come down on earth and bring heaven down here
1: where we are? That's the question of life. It's really one of the biggest themes of my show in a different, perhaps, context. I like to talk about the durables. What are the things that last rather than what are the things that are ephemeral, transient, or temporary? And we tend, I think, to focus too much on the temporary, which lends... The important thing is to becoming disposable, and I think about that, for example, in the context of marriage. Uh, We think of the wedding vows. I wrote them down, traditional Jewish wedding vows. Behold, thou art consecrated unto me with this ring according to the laws of Moses in Israel. Consecrate means to make sacred, which means to dedicate to God. Traditional vows are promises to God, and yet we have treated relationships, we treat marriages— as so easily um, disposable, as so easily divorceable, almost as if those vows are temporary excitations rather than promises of permanence. Things become less durable, particularly in human relationships.
2: Yes, and and it's human condition. Mm-hmm. You know, we love the freshness of yep. new things. Right. We get a new car and we're all excited. It smells so good. Mm-hmm. We get a new wife mm-hmm. or a new husband and we're so excited. It feels so good. The question is. How can we indeed maintain that relationship, whether with the car or, of course, with something much more substantial with our spouses? And for that, we need to ask that question. And then what? Will we ensure to continue to nurture and cultivate that relationship? Or will uh, we let it go as we let go some cars and some other physical objects? And I think that it's it's the big question, especially in our society, because we live in an age of distraction, Mm -hmm. right? where we're distracted, I think, by uh, the statistics of about 14 Google ads in one minute, mm-hmm. if you're staring at a screen right now. You'll have at least 14 Google ads, and that's just Google ads. I'm sure many other advertisements. And in this age of distraction, we're always looking for the next big thing and the next advertisement and the next distraction. But how about focusing on that which we have now and cultivating those blessings that we are given by God? Can we ensure that they indeed are blessings that will, reap, will will uh, uh,
1: give birth to fruits that we can
2: enjoy and that generations thereafter can also
1: enjoy. You taught me a word I didn't know: oniomania or oniomania, right. which is the um, the insanity of. Well, some people call it retail therapy, but the insanity of having being a shopaholic, always purchasing new things, thinking that will make you happy. And there is a word for it. I didn't know it. Uh, I think Max Nordau wrote on it, and uh, you cited another German psychiatrist that wrote on it. It's sale insanity, liter- literally from the Greek. Oniomania, I had to look it up, is sale insanity. Insanity, as I say, is un- unsoundness of mind. It's a symptom, the psychiat- the DSM that I looked at calls, so that it represents social degeneration. Isn't that interesting? This focus on the new this focus on the temporary, this focus on the thing that you don't think might have a lasting consequence is a sign of degeneration. Hmm. <laughs> yes. And you think that of focus- the word generation being something that moves on and right. on and on. Yeah,
2: Right. You know, that is also why The Ethics of Our Fathers has a beautiful teaching, you know, one of the major books in Judaism that says that that which is new is sometimes old, and that which is old is sometimes new. Yeah. And what it means to say is that sometimes we think that something is new and so attractive, but it's really old and rotten. Mm -hmm. And something that which is, sometimes we see something that is old and rotten, yet is really new. Then that freshness that we get with new items is really embedded in that seemingly old and rotten item. It's a question of our ability to dig and to really, again, embrace that which we have in front of us that will um, uh, lead us in that pathway of of uh, of depth and of gain, cultivating glad you, fruits.
1: I'm glad you brought up ethics of the fathers. I thought you were going to go with a different quote. Driving in today, I was listening to your podcast again, and then I turned on the Dennis Prager show, and he was talking about the one quote from the Talmud that anyone who ever studied Judaism for certain knows from the ethics of the fathers— which is, he, who is wise, he who sees tomorrow, or he who sees the future. And that seems related to this too.
2: Right. Or uh, Twice two. we're getting Talmud on the station <laughs> today. That's it. Once
1: from Prager, once from Alush and
2: Leibson. <laughs> right. <laughs> he said, everyone
1: who studies Judaism knows that.
2: Knows that. Yeah. And in fact, the definition of a wise man in Judaism, according to the Talmud, is, I'm going to quote the Hebrew too, <laughs> which means a wise man. Is a person who has his eyes, not on his face, but in his mind. When he thinks,
1: he sees
2: to the distance. He sees as far as he can see.
1: It's kind of an interesting thing when you relate it to the part of Deuteronomy that people learned and read and studied last weekend or last Sabbath or last Shabbos. Deuteronomy 21, the Parsha of Kitetsev where there's a discussion about what you're supposed to do when you build a new house. And a new house is kind of representative, isn't it, of everything you were talking about, the person who likes new things, the excitement of a new thing. A lot of people will buy a new car. They love the new car smell. And they'll talk about it for about three days. And by day four, five, or six, they're not thinking about the new car anymore, right? They've moved on to another thing or it's become a settled thing. But talk to us about the commandment in the Bible, the commandment in the Torah about building a parapet or a wall uh, on your rooftop because that's what relates to all this.
2: Right. Well, the simple reason is because obviously if someone builds a roof without a fence around it, then he creates danger for the people visiting that roof. Those people can very well fall off. But there is a deeper meaning to that commandment, and that is that if you build something, whether it's, again, a marriage— or whether it's a job, or whether it's uh, just a simple relationship, make sure that you build a fence. Make sure that, indeed, you look towards that future. You are wise, as we just spoke about, and you're able to also build or, or plant seeds that will grow in the future, plant seeds for the future. You know, I, I, I want to add one dimension to this, if I may, and that is that it's, it's fascinating because, as a rabbi, I visit many people who are unfortunately dying, and what is fascinating to me is that people that are dying learn to appreciate specifically those things that are not new. Yeah. Specifically those things that they embrace, that they cultivate like family, yeah. like values. And that's what they die with. People who embrace the new all the time or people when they die really have nothing to give them comfort.
1: Let me pick up on that on the other side of this break. That's a powerful point. Rabbi Pinkhas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts and head rabbi at Congregation Beth Fila, Tefillah, He And I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Weepson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alouche is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, host of the Rabbi Alouche podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts. It's uh, three to five minutes every week, and um, it'll give you a lifetime of learning. I have to listen to each one, as I routinely say, several times to pick up as much as I can. I'm sure I'm still missing things when I do. We were talking, you were just before the break, Rabbi, talking about if you want to learn i i 'll paraphrase you correct or redirect if you want to learn from people what 's important, listen to them when they 're at the end of their life, and they mm-hmm. will tell you I mean they have gone through it all, and they will be able to say things and some of the things they will talk about are their relationships or family it 's not the material uh, things it may not even it may not even be hygiene for all for all I can tell when when people are on their deathbeds that 's the last thing people care about. It's, it's, it's things that um, are difficult to identify, frankly. It's not things that are palpable. They're not things that are touchable. They're things really of God, things of vows, things of commitments to God, family being one of them, perhaps.
2: Right. It's not things that were on Google ads, right. like we were speaking about. Yeah. It's things that actually exist already, yeah. even when we are born. Yeah. They already exist. Yeah. God's gifts to us, like family, mm-hmm. like values. It's those things that they cling to when they die. You know, I remember reading an article that made a deep impact on me. It was an article by a woman by the name of Bonnie Weir. And she was a nurse for the dying for f- about 40 years. And she wrote this article in The Guardian. I'm sure many people can Google it. And that article is about the five top regrets of the dying. Oh. The number one regret was not spending more time with my family. Mm-hmm. The number two regret is trying to be that which I am not. And uh, the list goes on and on. But if you go over every single one of those regrets, you realize that people are finally realizing the true value in that which already exists, mm-hmm. not that which I still need to acquire, not in that new Ferrari and not in that new home and not in that new spouse. But it's that which I already have that should have been cultivated and did not was not cultivated by me that I regret so when I die.
1: It's important when you think even about events. Um, you were talking about Rabbi Steinsaltz asking the question that people need to ask more, and then what? What was the Yiddish phrase for that? The azma. the asma, and then right. what? And you talk about people planning events that involve family—the bar mitzvah, the bat mitzvah—that so many people know, the wedding ceremony that so many people know, and the the thing is, I think too many people put the attention all on that event if it's the bar mitzvah it's all about the party the question we lose is and then what happens after you are now brought into adulthood if it's the wedding it's about the wedding where i pe- where i think people too often forget the real event is the marriage right and you know it's true with
2: things that we ourselves celebrate for ourselves and it's true for things that others celebrate for themselves or maybe mourn for themselves. You know, in Judaism, one of the most beautiful customs is to mourn for seven days yeah. after an immediate relative passes on. And my beloved rabbi would often say that, yes, you have to visit them during those seven days, but you know when the greatest, what the greatest deed is that you can do is to visit them on the eighth day, Yeah. when no one is there anymore.
1: And it's not expected, That's and it's right. not
2: required. And it's not required. And that intensity of the of the visits yeah. has faded away. Yeah. But you still go and you still show up. Yeah. That's when it's most valued. And I think it's true for for really everything in life. It's not day 1, not day 2, not even day 7. How are you going to look like on day 8 and on day 18 and on day 800? I think that's what differentiates also superstars in sports or in any other realm from from, you know, regular people, and that is that they have this complete commitment to consistency, that they are, they show up the same way on day 817 as they showed up
1: on day one. I'm thinking about the person being visited, the mourner, or if it's the sick person, which is also an obligation to be visited, Korhalim, is that right? Right. And... I want to think about it maybe from the perspective of the person doing the visiting, the person who does show up on that eighth day or the person who does go to the hospital to visit someone who's sick. I'm betting most of them walk away saying, again, to the testimony of what you're saying, I bet most of them walk away saying, I wish I did that sooner. Mm -hmm. I wish I spent more time with them earlier. Often they'll visit people they haven't seen in weeks, months, perhaps years or they're visiting someone who just lost a, uh, a friend, relative, partner who they hadn't seen in the morning situation for days, weeks, months, years. And I bet the visitor walking out says to themselves every single time, I wish I didn't wait so long.
2: Mm. Right, which reminds me of one of the great quotes of the late Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi blessed memory, who we mentioned many times, who says that some people uh, waste their whole lives looking for meaning. Yeah. that when they finally find it, there's not enough life left yeah. to live meaningfully. Right. <laughs> and that's true. Right. If you have a good deed to be done, if you need to visit the sick today, then do it today. Don't delay it because there might not be enough life left to live meaningfully.
1: Which kind of is a nice transition to this week's podcast. We were discussing the podcast from a fortnight ago. But if we think about this week's podcast and going into this week's biblical or Torah portion, Kitavo, starting at around. Well, actually, I think maybe more precisely, Deuteronomy twenty-six, right on the mark, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you title it. If he yeah, told you, you could have been a rabbi. Uh, so. I, I, yeah. <laughs> you want to know what was said in my high school yearbook? What I was v- voted most likely to be? It wasn't a quarterback for the NFL. I'll tell you that. Um, it's titled if Hit Your."
0: I'm sorry. Go for it. The Deuteronomy twenty-six. <laughs> it, it's because okay
1: if. if The podcast title is If He's Happy, I'm Happy, and it starts, and people will see how this relates, but it starts with an interesting story. I'll let you tell it about a guy who didn't think he was with a woman who was a good fit for, I think, a friend or cousin or something Mm -hmm. like that, but he came to you and said, well, who am I to say anything if he's happy? i'm happy right? right that's what you teed off right from.
2: and i'm sure many of your listeners have heard that before yeah. oh he's uh, engaged in this habit but after all it brings him happiness if he's happy i'm happy i think the problem here is that we don't know how to define happiness mm-hmm. is it really happiness that right. they're experiencing when you're saying if he's happy is he truly happy or maybe he's in a state of pleasure pleasure is very different than happiness maybe he's in a state of lust and not love and therefore maybe it's not happiness We really have to define what happiness is. And I think the best definition for happiness, no, we don't have much time, but I would say the equation is happiness equals self-fulfillment. If I fulfill and actualize my deepest talents and gifts that God has given me, if I am myself indeed, my true self, and I fulfill that, then I become happy. So in other words, happiness is not a thing that we can truly pursue but it's a byproduct of self-fulfillment. And if someone does what he is supposed to do, then he'll become happy.
1: Huge topic. We're going Huge. to a commercial break. Let me pick up on that with you when we come back. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcast. It's funny. you know. People said you should have been this, you should have been that, I should have been around. No one ever says, Seth, you were meant to be a radio host. Why is that? Uh, why, why, <laughs> Seth, you should have done that. Okay. <laughs> Rabbi Alush and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Lipson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. A l l o u c h e, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tfilah, Tefillah, T e f i l l a h, on Shea Boulevard in Scottsdale. Beth Tefillah means house of prayer, and uh, it's a vibrant, uh, it's a vibrant uh, synagogue and house of not just worship, but celebration and 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 joy and. Um, As he says, anyone is welcome, Jewish or not, religious or not. And I use the word joy deliberately here, Rabbi, on this topic we're we're speaking of. If he's happy, I'm happy, the topic of your podcast. It's a big bestseller about 10 years ago about raising children called um, All Joy and No Fun. And so it made me look at the etymology—I love words, and I was looking up the etymology of these things— Joy is a cognate of rejoice, which implies regal or noble happiness mm. serious happiness. Fun is back to what we were speaking of earlier transitory um f- fading, fleeting, and fading um an, a diversion, and uh before it was a diversion, it was thought fun was thought to be related to the word even foolish. So there is a real difference between uh, joy and fun or real happiness and fake happiness, as you were saying and speaking of. And that took you to something that uh, I think you got out of Victor Frankl's mm-hmm. book, Man's Search for Meaning, about how to find happiness. Yeah,
2: Right, exactly. And True there, happiness. Right. right. And there Victor Frankl speaks of this idea that when we do what we are supposed to do, and that means that we live aligned with our values, aligned with our deeper self, then happiness will come to us. Um, and by the way, that is also why, you know, that, that phrase from uh, the US Declaration that says that pursuit you know, the, the pursuit yeah, of sure. happiness, yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't know if that is something that is actually achievable. The pursuit of happiness maybe thwarts happiness. Because when I pursue just happiness, then I'll always be looking outwards when really happiness comes from within, as Helen Keller famously said. And uh, I think that it would behoove every one of us really to first and foremost look within, ask ourselves who we truly are, actualize that. Then happiness will almost automatically come.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up and it hadn't occurred to me as much as I love reading the Declaration of Independence, that thought hadn't occurred to me until you brought it up just now. Because when the founders put that in the Declaration of Independence, the founders who were very, very familiar with and very skilled, not only in ancient Greek but also in Hebrew, um, they learned that, and there's no doubt in my mind, that that phrase, the pursuit of happiness, is going back to the Greek philosopher Aristotle's definition of it. I think the Greek word Aristotle used... Uses his eudaimonia, and he too was trying to separate the, or uh, establish the distinction between happiness and uh, self-entertainment, if you will. There, the, the the ancient Greeks, as 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 in the Bible, Athens and Jerusalem, we kind of think of the marriage of that kind of concept: what the Greeks were teaching and what came down from Mount Sinai. Athens and Jerusalem, they had a very different concept of happiness than we do perhaps today in such a casual way. It's not about the immediate gratification. You have your Rabbi uh, Steinsaltz, your great teacher, Rabbi Steinsaltz, who you invoke a lot. Uh, Mine is more secular. uh, Is a a man I I, I think probably of the same way you think of Rabbi Steinsaltz. I quote him here a lot, William Bennett, and he said, "'Happiness is like a cat.'" If you coax it or call it, it will avoid you. It won't come. But if you pay no attention to it and go about your business, you will find it rubbing against your legs and jumping into your lap. So forget pursuing the kind of happiness people pursue today. Instead, pursue learning, pursue work, pursue honor, pursue your commitments and keep them. Pursue the truth, pursue decency, look honestly for God. Be faithful to your spouse, to your children, to your friends, to your country. Forget the pursuit of happiness as we today understand it. Pursue other things, and happiness will come to you.
2: Beautifully said. Beautifully. And and if we may broaden the conversation, I think it's true not just with happiness. I think it's true with any big, lofty idea. Success. Yeah right? People also are in the pursuit of success. They don't even know what success means. And I tell people, well, first do what you need to do and then success will come. Maybe that's why the simple advice that we often hear, you have to enjoy your job and then you'll be able to be successful. It's true. Commit yourself to that What you need to do. And success will come. It's true with wisdom, and I could name many other ideals.
1: Let me come back to that on the other side of this break, if I can. This short segment will come up and talk about the pursuit of success, including in the pursuit of happiness, and what true success is. Rabbi Pinchas Alush, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He's the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E Updated every week with three to five minutes that can change a life does change lives. We were talking about your latest, uh, the la- the topic of your latest podcast, If He's Happy, I'm Happy, and it really requires a different thought about what true happiness is. And you were just, Rabbi, before the break, speaking of success, someone who, um, who is so motivated by success, it seems to me, can be a dangerous person. Um if, if, if success is the thing that's front and center, if success is the goal rather than the daily in and out and the daily doing of what's right, then it seems to me you cut corners. It seems to me you can get into a lot of trouble if you try to get to the end goal of success before doing all the basic and serious groundwork that you need to do to be truly successful. Uh, we see a lot of this, of course, in uh, uh, in business fraud. We see a lot of this in contract violations. People want to take the shortcuts. They want to take, if I might invoke once again the Talmud, if I'll get it right. There's a road that is short that appears long, and there's a road that is long that appears short. And they want to take the uh, the road that um, that appears that appears short, right? right. Too often.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. Now that's that's a great quote because sometimes it's specifically the road that is long yeah. that is short. Yeah. The road when we are we do what we need to do again uh, that leads us to the destination we need to get right, to. Right. You know, I I also want to frame it in a biblical way because the word success appears for the first time in the biblical story of Joseph. Oh. Joseph was sold as a slave by his brothers. He found himself in a pit in Egypt. And eventually he rose to what we may call success and became the vice king of Egypt. But uh, it is interesting to note that God coins Joseph as a successful man, not when he becomes the vice king, before, but rather no. when he is in that pit yeah. and he demonstrates right. grit and resilience right. and devotion to his values. Right. That's when he's successful. It's a whole other way of looking yeah, at success. Yeah,
1: and that's what Viktor Frankl is writing about too, isn't it? Um, it's about what you do when you're in the pit. That's where the meaning comes from. That's when the meaningful life presents itself, not after you're out of the pit, the pit of hell or the pit in Egypt.
2: Right. And it's interesting if I may add. Yes, I think please. that's how we can test ourselves. Yeah. We can certainly test others too, whether they are truly divinely successful right. or not. Put them in a pit. Let's see how they uh, behave during uh, tough challenges, during dark moments in life. You know, COVID did that to people. Some people when they faced the uh, the storm of COVID, they all of a sudden turn into monsters. And that's because they really never knew what success was to begin with, that they uh, just, uh, you know, transformed into people that are sub people. And some people, those who had that grit, that resilience and the devotion towards their values, when COVID came, they actually became better people. Then their light shone through. And that's because, again, they knew from the get go what success means. and Success in the term of, of, of really being people that are anchored in divine values. I don't and, know if you uh, saw this.
1: That's so important what you just said. I studied COVID sociologically and statistically like nothing else because I was just amazed at what was taking place. And one of the interesting things I observed was the people who handled it the most calmly were the older people which were, ironically enough, the people most susceptible to succumb Mm -hmm. to it. But they were the most calm about it. The people who were less calm about it were the young. And I guess I'm saying that because I'm thinking the older people, I don't know if you saw this and if this was true universally, it certainly was in in, in, in the environment I was observing, that the older people, you know, they've been through vicissitudes and changes and alarms and excursions and earthquakes before. And That to them, this moment to them, was not something worth turning their worlds and everyone else's world upside down over. Young people, more so. Interesting enough. And this was a a virus that was more attacking of the old people than the young people. I don't know if you saw it. The older people had a a calmer attitude towards it. Right, and that's fascinating. Did you see it too?
2: Absolutely. And uh, it's fascinating. And I saw it, you know, just take, I'll take marriage again for an example. But I saw it in my own congregation and beyond. Uh, People whose definition of marriage was to have great Facebook and Instagram pictures and, uh, you know, what they call trophy wives and trophy husbands. Those people, when COVID came and uh, rocked their home, uh, their marriage suffered tremendously. And some of them also ended up in divorce. Mm -hmm. Those people whose definition of marriage, of success in marriage, was true love where they are truly devoted to one another. And it's not about the smiles on the outside. It's about the smiles on the inside and how they go to sleep at night, now they wake up in the morning. Those people actually had marriages that were strengthened by COVID, not devastated by it.
1: I'm going to bet of all those marriages that broke up and all the relationships that broke up during that period, someone said about their friend in that marriage, if he or she's happy, I'm happy. (laughs) I bet. I bet. That's
2: That's right. Let's
1: bring it full circle. The last part, and we'll end it on this, another teaching from your beloved Rabbi Steinsaltz, don't ask what you want to be, ask what you ought to be. There is in political philosophy a debate between the is and the ought, and those of us on my side of that debate believe in the ought and not the is, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably true of Christianity and Judaism as well. I agree, and that's also because we really never know what we want. Right. You
2: know, I see that also too often as a rabbi. People have become doctors, but they really wanted to heal the world. Yeah. And the uh, doctors, uh, the the title doctor doctor or the job doctor doesn't really fit them. Yeah. They could have become social workers yeah. and they would have made, uh, uh, you know, they would have f- f- felt more fulfilled with themselves. Yeah. And it's true. Some people want to make money. They say, I want to make money. But is that really what you want or do you want to be charitable? So go and be charitable to begin with. Most people don't really know what they want. Maybe. The prayer, therefore, should be not "I want money" or "I want to be a doctor." I want this, but maybe the prayer should be "I want to know what I really want yeah.
1: <laughs> and what I really ought to be doing." Rabbi Alush, such a pleasure. Thank you, and thank you for the guests that you brought in today as well. Appreciate thank you, you Seth. being here. It's truly you know what I want. Pleasure. I want you here every Friday. That's what I
2: want. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm that's <laughs> what I ought to do. <laughs> and
1: that is what you ought to do. I am Seth Leaps, and he's Rabbi Alush. I'll be back with a closing thought. Portions of this show have been brought to you by Y-Refi. They uh, have been getting great calls and feedback from you all. Thank you for that. Thank you for supporting an investment that actually helps people. I thank you, and they thank you. Y-Refi is an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio that if you're worried about the volatility of the stock market, or if you're worried about inflation, this investment is not correlated or tied to the stock market, or the Federal Reserve. And you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return with Y-Refi. Again, not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with absolutely no fees. And there's no reduction or attack on principle if you ever need your money back at any time. And you'll get your monthly statement, obviously, every month with no surprises. Check them out at com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y dot com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24. That's 888-Y-REFI-24. Um, young David, you just told me a nice thing on the break. Um, that you were thinking of the Robert Frost poem uh, as kind of encapsulating that which Rabbi uh, Lush and I were discussing shall we perhaps end the show with it the road not taken is that what you were thinking of two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry I could not travel both and be one travel traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay In leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, You knowing how way leads on to way. I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh Somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that, has made all the difference. Um, Thank you for that reminder, David. And um, as we go into the Labor Day weekend and you think about uh, our topic, the durables, always the things that are important, the ought, not the is, maybe I'll go out with just the title of what Jerry Lewis's song was at the end of every Labor Day telethon. You do the right thing and you'll never walk alone. Thank you, David. Thank you, audience. Until, well, we'll be back on Tuesday live. We'll have a good show for you on Monday, but live on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Seth Leapson. God bless you all, and class dismissed